You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father. So then, you do what you have heard from your father. Our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you will do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. We weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me? Who among you can convict me of sin? If I am telling the truth... Why don't you believe me? This one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. The Jews responded to him, Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? I do not have a demon, Jesus answered. On the contrary, I honor my father and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. Truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Then the Jews said, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you claim to be? If I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. My Father, about whom you say, he is our God, he is the one who glorifies me. You do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say I I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, He saw it and was glad. The Jews replied, You aren't 50 years old, 
and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Um, now we'll go into the time, the reading of the creed. All right. Let's do it. I wonder if you've ever uh, been the victim of mistaken identity. Has that ever happened to you? Someone sees you, they think that you're someone else. Happens to me all the time. Like, oh, no, I wasn't in the movie Ocean's Eleven, all right? It's <laughs> Pitt, Clooney, Damon, I get, I get all three. <laughs> Just gets old, you know? Someone I do get um, confused for all the time is my older brother. Makes a little bit more sense, right? We, uh, we share a lot of DNA. My older brother and I do look alike. And uh, even, even I think he's visited this church once. And on that morning, people were like double taking between the two of us, um, which is understandable because you guys have never met him before. Um, what is a little bit more weird is the fact that we got confused for one another on my wedding day. Like, <laughs> Not just once or twice, either. Now, this was um, weddings in the mid-2000s before men started caring about what they look like, all right? So now if you go to a wedding, they've, like, they are, they've spent a lot of time thinking about what they're wearing. We had four of us guys wearing all the exact same thing, just black suit, burgundy tie, that's it, all right? Uh, and so, so we did kind of look alike, but it's my wedding day, all right? So... When, when we were done with the service and got into the cars and we were heading out to uh, get our photos taken, my brother said to you, oh, just, just so you know, um, I, I accepted some, some congratulations for you. Um, I was like, what do you mean? And he said, well, pe- people were coming up to me and saying, you know, congrats on the wedding and all that, and I, I just sort of went with it. And, and <laughs> yeah. So that happens, you know? Maybe you're in a shop and someone comes up to you and thinks that you work there. You know, these kinds of things happen from time to time and it can be embarrassing, it can be awkward. Um, here's what I know. The man who has been misidentified, the victim of uh, mistaken identity more than anyone else is Jesus. He is the one who stands alone in human history as the most misidentified man. Because for 2,000 years, people have painted Jesus in a certain light. People have attributed to him a certain identity um, and forced him into a mold that suits their own agendas. And so as the most famous man in human history, it's natural that people will have different kinds of responses to him. And for many people, they kind of paint him in a certain light. And so you have, according to Muslims, he is a prophet, uh, but nothing more. Um, Jews, he's a false messiah. A lot of Eastern religions see Jesus as a, a, a profound teacher, a wise man, a, a kind of guru figure. Uh, I once met a guy who was really into South American politics, and, uh, and he saw Jesus as a freedom fighter. He was the liberator. Uh, He didn't actually believe that Jesus 
was God's son, but he believed he was an example of how to break free of tyranny and oppression, and, uh, and as the first communist. And um, you have people who see Jesus as a, as a hippie, as a, a kind of countercultural figure, a, a peace-loving guy. You have people who see him as a ref- mainly as a refugee. I saw a t-shirt for sale the other day at a shop I really like called Etico, where they sell just really environmentally sustainable clothing that, that they actually pay people to make. Um, and, and they have a t-shirt, Refugeesus, and it's just a picture of Jesus there looking a little bit like halfway between Che Guevara and, uh, and, and an African slave, right? And, and then like way down the other end of the spectrum, you have Jesus as the white supremacist hero, the, the, the nationalist um, emblem, particularly in some parts of the United States. So people have different versions of Jesus that they believe in. And what I want to do in this series, these seven sermons leading up to and including Easter Sunday, what I want to do is just go to the source. I want to ask Jesus, who are you? I want us to ask Jesus, who are you? Tell us who you are. Save us from projecting our personal ideals or our ideologies, the the, the kind of Jesus we want you to be, save us from that kind of projection and just give us the truth. And our guide for this journey that we're going to take is just the right kind of person. Our guide is John, the disciple that Jesus loved, one of Jesus' very closest friends. We're going to go through the Gospel of John and we're going to reference um, these situations where John uses a very particular form of language in the, in the Greek, the, the, the language um, of I am. Jesus will speak of himself as, he will say, I am the bread of life. Or he'll say, I am the light of the world. Or I am the gate for the sheep. Or I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And today, he's just going to say, I am. John's whole purpose in writing his gospel was to answer this question that we're going to ask him. The whole purpose for his entire gospel is to answer this question. In John chapter 20, right towards the end, he gives us the purpose. We're used to finding it at the start. He's put it at the end. And he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. Me being one, he says, that are not written in this book, but these are written. I've written this gospel so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the King, the Lord, the Anointed One, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why the the Gospel of John is my favorite book of the Bible. I love his heart. I love his purpose. I love the way he writes. I love the things he focuses on. And I love the fact that he's writing as one of Jesus' very best friends. So, that's the purpose. The next seven times we meet in this room, that's our purpose. To ask, who are you, Jesus? And our prayer throughout this, just so you know, there's nothing hidden under the table. Our prayer is for every single person in this church to have a revelation 
of Jesus' identity, according to him. So, you ready? We're going to begin with the most controversial of his I am statements. He says the kind of thing that gets you killed. And so we'll jump in. Chapter 8 and verse 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you know, I once signed up for a gym membership with the best intentions. It was a 12-month contract, locked in, and I wanted it to be locked in because I am cheap, all right? And so if I spend money on something, I have to get every cent's worth out of it. I signed up for 12 months, and I went two times. <laughs> you know what? They never called me up. They never called me up and said, I'm just wondering, are you ever going to show up? And the reason they didn't call up is because they didn't care. It was paid up front. In fact, if you think about it, the best case scenario for a gym is that you pay up front for a year and never show up, never sully their things with your sweat and blood and tears, mostly tears. My theory is that churches are sometimes like this, you know? When the most important thing to a pastor or a leadership team or a church itself is that you have as many people there as possible, then you get the same kind of economics. Just get them in. I went and visited, when I, back when I was a youth pastor, I went and visited a youth group that had hundreds of people there, on a, kids on a Friday night, hundreds. And by the end of the night, I could see why. They had sick facilities, But they also had free pizza for everyone and under someone's seat every single Friday night there was a, a, I guess then it was a PlayStation 2, right? And so I'm going to go there. Now, I'm not casting aspersions. I think they actually really wanted to see kids come to know Jesus. But it's very easy for us when numbers are the thing, when numbers are the most important thing, then... Well, yeah, we just want your membership. doesn't really matter if you turn up. certainly doesn't really matter if you become more like Jesus. doesn't really matter if you worship him. Jesus, I'm happy to say, was not like this at all. Jesus was the opposite of this. He was the opposite of the social media influencer who just needs to pump up the numbers. Or the YouTuber who just needs to get as many views as possible. Jesus is the... His PR advisor would have been so frustrated with him. Because it's like every time he starts to gather a bunch of followers, he, he, he just... He, he guts them. And he doesn't do it because he doesn't want people to know him. He does it because he doesn't want people to think they know him when, he, when they don't. So he says, these, these are Jews who believed in him. We're going to get to um, chapter 7 later on in this series. We're going to talk about Jesus being the light of the world. and Well, we're going to talk about all of these different images he uses. 
But in response to some who believed in him, Jesus says, if you continue in my word. This is a good challenge for us. Because do we invite people to know Jesus and respond to the gospel and then say, congrats, you prayed the prayer, all the best? Or do we say, now, now it begins. Now it's a daily continuing in his word. Jesus doesn't have any easy believism. He doesn't have any time for, I said a prayer and so now I've got my insurance policy. No, he says, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. And you'll know the truth. And it will set you free. It's good news he's giving them. The good news always has a little bad news attached to it. All right, Otherwise, there is no good news. The caveat, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. He'll say elsewhere, if you daily deny yourself and take up your cross, you really are my disciples. And if you continue in my word, you will know the truth. I speak the truth. Later he'll say, I am the way and the truth and the life. And you'll be set free. I don't know if you've ever seen this like happen in real time. But I have this really clear memory of this young girl. This is going back a few years. Um, but as a young girl involved... Uh, sort of on the periphery of a church I was involved in uh, over east. And... Uh, she was really troubled for good reason, had a really difficult upbringing. And she just, she was, it was like she had been desiccated, dried out. And she was coming along with her boyfriend to church at the time, and someone had said to me in the congregation who sort of had a prophetic gift, he said, I, I think she is going to become a Christian and she is going to lead her nominal Christian boyfriend to the Lord. I was like, wow, that's, uh, that's probably not going to happen. Have you seen this girl? But I remember the night that we had this um, service at church and then afterwards we lingered. We lingered for prayer. After the service today, we're going to linger for prayer. That's some, some of the most amazing ministry happens in that time. And we were lingering in prayer and a few of the, the girls were praying for this one girl and I was just sort of standing observing and as they were praying for her and sharing good news with her, someone, someone sort of stressed the freedom that comes when you give up everything. That, right? That's the, that's the paradox of the gospel. When you finally give up everything is when you get everything. And, and, and so they were saying to her, you just, what, you need to, what I think God wants you to do is just release everything. Release your past. Release your hold on this life. Release your anger towards God and, and, and receive. Release and receive. And I saw her in, in a moment change. I saw her change. I later wrote down when I was, it used to be a little bit more poetic than I am now, but I said it looked like she'd been moisturized. It 
Sometimes people hear the invitation of Jesus to give up everything they have and they respond and receive life. They've been set free. Maybe that happened to you. Maybe that's going to happen to you. What happens here? Verse 48. Let's see the response. The Jews responded to him, Aren't we right in saying you're a Samaritan and have a demon? The Jews who believed in him hear him say that he can set them free and their response is to say, aren't you a demon? Aren't you a Samaritan? Now, Here's, here's what's going on here, because that seems like that escalated quickly, right? If you can understand where they're coming from, you, you'll see why it is that they respond this way. So it sort of hinges on the fact that Jesus says he's going to set them free. Jesus says, I will set you free. And, he, and they say to him, let's back it up a little bit, verse 31 through to 33. Let's read through that again. He says, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And their response, we are descendants of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? That's the issue. The issue is that as sons of Abraham, descendants of Abraham, they do not believe that they need to be set free. Now, they get what he means when he says freedom. They get that he's not talking about physical freedom. They know that he means that they will be set free from their sin. The reason we know that they get it is because they say, we've never been enslaved to anyone. Now, they're Jews. I don't know many people who have been enslaved more than Jews. All right? They've just been enslaved constantly. In Egypt, in Assyria, in Babylon. At this point in time, they're under the thumb of the Romans, right? So they're not, they're not trying to make the case that the Jews have never been enslaved. They're, what they're saying is, we are not enslaved to sin. We are sons of Abraham. We don't need saving. We don't need to be set free. And that's the issue. And so Jesus corrects them, and here you can see it really plainly. Verse 34 and following, Jesus responded, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son remains, does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. Jesus has given them good news. He's correcting them. He's correcting their misapprehension. It's not true that just because you're sons of Abraham that you don't need to be set free from sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That's another way of saying everyone. Jew, Gentile, all enslaved to sin. The good news is if you're set free by the Son, then you'll be free indeed. Not the kind of False freedom that comes by saying, well, I'm, I'm circumcised. I'm a son of Abraham. 
False freedom, flimsy freedom. Jesus says, I will give you forgiveness and freedom and you will be free indeed. Like really free. Their response to call him a Samaritan, which is their greatest earthly enemy, and that he has a demon, which is to say he's possessed, their response is just an extreme form of the same response every one of us makes when we're confronted by our sin. Can we just be honest? Like, how do you respond? If someone comes to you, and let's just assume they're coming to you in love and not condemnation. If they come to you and point out to you an area of your life that's in darkness, an area of your life that isn't in step with Jesus, if someone says to you, you know, Jesus said, if you remain in my word, then you are my disciple, and you're not remaining his word in this area of your life, I want to point this out to you in love. Because I want you to remain as a disciple of Jesus. How do you respond in that moment? At least a little part of you wants to call them a Samaritan and a demon. Christians have been saved and set free, but we still wrestle with the fleshly part of ourselves, the un the, the unredeemed part of ourselves. That part of us that really won't be made like Jesus until he finally restores us. We have this wrestle with the flesh. And in that moment, either at the beginning of a service when we say we're all sinners and we need to repent of our sin, or in that moment in small group or the accountability group or at home when your wife points out something you knew that's not Christ-like, in that moment, we can respond in one of two ways. We can respond by saying you're a Samaritan and you have a demon, or probably more likely, yeah, well, what about you? Or... Rather than self-righteousness, we can have self-awareness and say, yeah, well, of course. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm not yet living out the fullness of the life that I have in Jesus. I expect these times to come, and I thank you for pointing out what I couldn't see or what I could see and was rebelling against. So much of Jesus' ministry, he shows us these examples of how to respond, either with self-righteousness or, or sin awareness. Remember, this is one of my favourite parables. I've told you this a thousand times, but I, I find it so evocative and so... Convicting, But remember in Luke, is it chapter 18? Jesus tells the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Here we go. Let me read this for us. Luke says, he, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, self-righteous people. 
the ones who say, Samaritan, demon, or, yeah, but what about you? Or at least I'm not like. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee. You need to hear Pharisee, like, exemplary Christian. Turn up to every monthly prayer meeting, showing you guys up. Here every morning early. Has memorized the Bible reading for this week. Leading a Bible study, right? Exemplary Christian. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Just insert people that everyone else looks down on. Tax collector, sinner, prostitute, you name it, adulterer. The Pharisee, Jesus says, was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this damn tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. He goes on. Verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this one, the sinner, the tax collector, the prostitute, this one went down to his house justified. This one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will will be exalted. These guys were the self-righteous type. And so they responded by telling him that he is a Samaritan, their worst enemy, that he is a, a demon or possessed by a demon. How do you respond? How does Jesus respond? Verse 49, I do not have a demon. On the contrary, I honor my father and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. Truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Then the Jews said, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died and so did the prophets. You say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you claim to be? Which is the right question. Who do you claim to be? Who are you? Who do you think you are? 
That's the right question to ask. Jesus is, to be fair, claiming a lot. He's claiming a lot here. Like this 30-year-old guy who's standing in front of them, the son of a carpenter from Nazareth of all places. Right? He is claiming a lot. Claiming that God the Father glorifies him. Did you catch that? God the Father who judges all people seeks to glorify him. He's claiming that if you keep his words, right? He didn't say the, he, he didn't say the Pentateuch. He didn't say the Torah. He didn't say the law and the prophets. He said, if you keep my words, you will never taste death. That's claiming a lot. And so their response is the right one. Who do you think you are? Who do you claim to be? Now Jesus' response is... Mind-blowing. I don't know if someone's come up with an emoji Bible, but it's coming. We're basically reducing ourselves to hieroglyphics, right, when it comes to our language. We've gotten rid of all the big words, and now we're just getting down to, it's just going to be all emojis at some point. Your grandkids, they're just going to read in emojis, all right? And, 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 and when Marios read this passage, he sent through, earlier in the week, he sent through just a, the, what is it, the mind-blown one, all right? Because, because this, this, this is mind-blowing if you have eyes to see it. Jesus' response is astonishing. Let's read it, verse 56 to 58. Your father Abraham, he says, rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. They respond, you aren't 50 years old yet and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. And then the world just blows up. Well, it should have. At that point, it should have been the part of the movie where Jesus just walks away in slow motion and the world just blows up. He looks at these sons of Abraham who trace their lineage back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years to, 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 to when God calls Abraham out of nothing and makes the nation of Israel out of him. He looks at them and says, before he was there, I am There are still some people to this day who try and tell you they might be knocking on your door from time to time, they might be stopping you down by the lake as you walk around from time to time, they might be telling you that Jesus never claimed to be God. And yet he looks at these sons of Abraham and he looks at you square in the eyes this morning and says, before Abraham was, I am. And he takes for himself the name of Yahweh. He takes for himself the holy name of God and says, I am he. Do you remember this? 
right the way back in the book of Exodus. We talked through this a few years ago, if you want to drag it up. Well, we talked through the first 12 or something chapters. But you've got Moses called by God to go to, to Egypt, back to Egypt, and to demand from Pharaoh to release the people of Israel so that they can worship God in the wilderness. And you have this confrontation between God and a burning, uh, between Moses and a burning bush. God manifesting himself in this bush that's burning without burning up. And God speaks to him and tells him that he's got this mission for him. And Moses responds by saying, If I go to the Israelites and I say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent you. That's who God is. The uncreated one. The one who was and is and is to come. Had no beginning. There was no time when he was not. And so therefore he simply is, I am. He simply is. He's not contingent on anything. He simply is. He just says, I am. And the people of Israel cherish this name. They cherish it so much that they don't even pronounce it. And when they write it, they just write it with the, with the consonants. Y-H-W-H. I am. Yahweh. And Jesus, the 30-year-old son of the carpenter, just said, you know what, before Abraham was, I am. Who are you, Jesus? Hippie? Freedom fighter? White nationalist? Refugee? Are you a prophet? Are you a wise man? Are you a guru? Jesus says, you want to know who I am? I am. There is no confusion about what he said. The people who are listening to him don't think that maybe he got a little muddled up there. Maybe he forgot his grammar and his tenses. At least if he believed, he was delusional enough to believe that he's a few hundred or maybe a thousand years old, he at least would have said before Abraham was, I was. Maybe he got a little confused with the grammar. No one thinks that. They know exactly what he means. And so, like good sons of Abraham, they respond in the way that they should. Verse 59, they picked up stones to throw at him. But 
The reason you stone someone to death is because they are blasphemers. Blasphemy is such a serious charge. Someone who would take God's identity for themselves and say that I am God in human flesh, that man should die immediately. Now, to be fair, they probably should have gone through a trial and not just picked up stones immediately, but we can forgive them. They're zealous for God's glory. They knew exactly what he meant. Now Jesus is hidden and went out of the temple, lived to teach another day, for now. They'll eventually get him. We'll talk about that on Good Friday. But those men who claim to be believers in Jesus and us here today are confronted by this text, right? It's a confrontation. Jesus wants it to be a confrontation. He has engineered this whole situation to be a confrontation. He loves you too much for you to leave this place today as a nominal Christian. Do you know what a nominal Christian is? Well, broadly, you know, I agree with Christian values. I tend to be more conservative theologically or at least politically and... I want to be a good person as well. Church provides some community and uh, the air conditioning works on hot summer mornings. And Jesus wants to save you from that terrible eventuality. I believe that Jesus either wants you to look at him and say, you are a Samaritan and a demon, or he wants you to fall at his feet and worship him as Yahweh. He wants one or the other. Later this year, we're going to teach all the way through the book of Revelation. You're going to see at the beginning there, one of his great criticisms of the church at that time was that they were lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. If you could use one adjective to describe the average Australian's attitude towards Christianity, the person of Jesus, is there a better term than lukewarm? No one's cutting Christians' heads off, right? They do that in some parts of the world. No one's doing that here. But if you go up to someone and say, so what do you think about Jesus? I guarantee you, nine out of ten times the response will be, hmm. And Jesus wants to take you from that place, even if you're a believer and you have slowly dried out to the point where your response to the Jesus that you love and worship is, hmm. Jesus wants to take you from that place of indifference And he wants to bring you to a place where you can fall on your face and worship him. He's the great I am. We're going to give you a chance now to consider the things that you've heard. 
There might be something that I have said that has triggered something within you, in your heart or your mind. But if you've never even listened to anything that I've said this morning, then just take his words to heart. Be bold enough to stand before the man who says before Abraham was, I am. And to come to terms with who he says he is. Now, if you leave this morning saying that he is a Samaritan and has a demon, then we would have got somewhere. Better that than sheer indifference. But if you come to the point by the Spirit of God where you say, He is the I am, the creator and the sustainer of all things, my Savior, my Redeemer, my Lord, my King, my brother, my friend, if you come to that place, then hallelujah. We're going to have a song now just for reflection. Then Doug's going to come and intercede for us and on behalf of the world. And then we're going to have three songs where we just give thanks and praise, which is the only response we can have to Jesus the I Am. Let me say a quick prayer for us now. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you for revealing yourself in the man Jesus Christ. Thank you for not leaving us in the dark. Thank you for reaching out beyond the descendants of Abraham to those of us who never had a hope of knowing you. Thank you for being here this morning and showing yourself to us. I pray, Lord, bring us close now. Help us to see you for who you say you are and change us. Light a fire in our hearts. Help us to grow day by day as we remain in your words. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay seated.